Did you like hearing the testimonies of our young men? Yeah, that, that'll preach. I'm like, okay, I don't even have to do anything. Um, because what we saw today was how Jesus changes lives. How following Jesus radically changes how we think, how we act, our direction in life. And in all three of those young men, I've seen that in their lives. I've seen that change. I've seen God direct them. And when we, when we come to God's Word, this is a reminder to me of we can come and think, oh, these are a list of commands that I must do to be really good. Or we can come to God's Word and realize we are adopted sons and daughters of God. Those that have accepted Him. We are adopted sons and daughters. And because of that lineage, because we are God's children, He affects our actions. And He affects our attitudes. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. And so we're in the middle of a section in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus has just come down from praying on the mountain and He's chosen His apostles and He's gathered a group of His disciples together and He's teaching what the kingdom of God looks like, how the values are different, how the kingdom of God is completely backwards to the kingdom of this world. In this world, it's, it's all do anything to get ahead and step on other people. And if someone hurts you, hurt them back and defend yourself. But not so in God's kingdom. Last week, we, we saw, especially those first four commands of Jesus, we, we saw radically simple and hard at the same time commands. Love your enemies. Do good to those that harm you. We, we saw bless those that curse you. Pray for those that abuse you. And it's like, how can we do that? And those four, and it's been, it's been great to just interact as a church family with this passage in the last week. Because those four, if we're struggling with those four, what we're really struggling with is probably an unforgiving spirit, bitterness in our spirit. And those Jesus uses to confront those things and expose those things. And at the end of last week, we saw the the culminating command. How is this even possible? And Jesus says, it's not on your own. Good luck trying. Try as hard as you can. But on your own, you can't do it. But as you pursue it, God, your Father, will enable you to do that. And we saw in verse 36, be merciful as God is merciful. Be merciful, a command As God is merciful. And so our brain should go to, and we did this in our community groups this week, how has God shown mercy on me? How, what do I deserve? How have I earned my salvation? And we haven't. We've done nothing to earn our salvation. And so we're left with God is merciful to me when I don't deserve it. And so I should be merciful to others when they don't deserve it. This week, as we, as we look at Luke chapter 6, 37 through 42, Jesus is going to expand on that. He's going to expand, what does it mean to be merciful to each other? What does that look like? And this isn't an exhaustive exhaustive commentary of what it means to be merciful. But Jesus is going to pick some things that dive right to our heart and cut to the quick and say, here's where we're often not as people. Here's where we struggle with this. And he's going to jump right into judgmental, critical attitudes. And and, and so I, I hope this steps on our toes like last week. Because really, we're exposing areas we need to open up and say, God, change me. Change me. How many of you um, in the last month have been criticized by somebody? Was it just your favorite? (laughs) Don't look around. (laughs) Was it just your favorite highlight of the last month? No. 
How many of you have criticized someone else in the last month? You don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to. And, and not even necessarily to their face. In the privacy of your own conversations with someone else, that way it's, it's just firmly behind their back, so it must be okay. We struggle with an unforgiving attitude. We struggle with criticism. We struggle with judgmentalism. And, and, and Jesus is going to go here as the key to understanding what he means to be merciful. He's going to start with four different attitudes in, in verse 37 and 38. Four different attitudes, two, two negative, two positive, that help us begin to say, okay, we are naturally critical people. The world is why we're naturally critical people. Our sin nature is why we can be so judgmental and look down on other people. Why we can make false assumptions of people and then hold them to it. I, I, I read some, some really humorous ones this week. There was a six-year-old little boy that came home with a note from his teacher. And it was suggested that he be taken out of school at six because he was too stupid to learn. Judgmental attitude. That boy was Thomas Edison. Great inventor. Brilliant man. Another boy, Alfred Tennyson, his grandfather gave him ten shillings to write a eulogy on his grandmother. Handing it to the lad, the old man said, There, that is the first money you ever earned by the poetry. And take my word for it, it will be the last. One of the greatest poets that ever lived. Benjamin Franklin's mother-in-law hesitated at letting her daughter marry a simple printer. There were already two printing offices in the United States. (laughs) And she feared that the country might not be able to support a third. (laughs) We're critical people. We're looking and and making judgments and making assessments. And so many times our assessments go to to who the person is and whether we can accept the person, whether we can bring the person into our lives. And Jesus is going to attack that today. Let's start reading verse 37. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. I'm going to stop there. That's the first two commands. And again, just like last week, These are present imperatives. They're ongoing commands. And the idea is don't judge and don't ever judge. Don't let yourself fall into this. And if you're doing it now, stop it. And we see the first command here. And the the first two, judge not and and condemn not, really are a pair that is, is talking about the same thing. But point number one is if we're to be merciful like our father, if we're to have his attitude, we need to tenaciously avoid a critical, fault-finding, judgmental, better-than-thou attitude. I thought of adding ten more descriptions. Because this is what we have to start to realize is what we do and be aware of that and how that affects how people see Jesus, how that affects our walk with Jesus. Tenaciously avoid a critical, fault-finding, judgmental, better-than-thou attitude. These are all enemies of mercy. Every one of them. One author said, really, if you were to word it in the positive, it would mean accepting others even when we don't accept their situation. Accepting others without accepting all of their actions. But we bring them in and say, you are made in the image of God. And so I will accept you. I will love you. I will bless you. I will pray for you even when I may disagree with some of your actions. Now, now judge not 
lest you be judged, is, is easily one of the most misquoted phrases in the Bible in our culture today, right? If you say anything to someone that they disagree with, oh, no, 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 judge not, or you'll be judged. And, and, and so that's the mantra today. I would say the, the religion of self in America is judge not. I don't want anyone to disagree with me. If you disagree with me, you are looking down on me, you are judging me, and it's a problem. That is not what this verse is about. That is ripping Scripture out of context and destroying what it means. Because sometimes that is used to never point out anyone's sin. And that we should always accept something that is contrary to the Bible. And that's not what this is. Jesus here is talking about love that is seen in our attitude toward others in their weaknesses and faults. What it is, and and it's helpful to think what it is and what it isn't, What Jesus is talking here, what he's condemning, is a critical condescending spirit. Not one that just disagrees, but when it's done in a critical condescending way. And so many times, it is true, when we disagree with people, when we see something we don't like, so many times we can jump to an attitude of thinking less of them. I am better than them because I am right. And we think less of them. That is what Jesus is attacking here. He is disallowing a judgmental, condemning disposition, one author wrote. He is saying, don't take a hard, critical view of people. Don't sit there with a magnifying glass looking for the faults in people. But rather love them and care for them. It helps to see the parallel. Condemning them is is paralleled with judging them. And so it's this idea of fault-finding in a way to condemn them. And often, when you condemn someone, you put them in a little box that they can never get out of. You know, anyone in your life that has sinned against you, and, and maybe you don't have anyone like this, but if you, sometimes we have people that have sinned against us, it could be 20 years ago. And we're like, oh no, I know that person. I know what they're like. And we are keeping him, the, that's a judgmental, critical attitude. And that is what Jesus is speaking against here. And it was rampant then, and it's rampant now. So many times we distance ourselves from a person because we think less of them, because of our perceptions. He also says, don't condemn. Don't condemn. And that's the the same meaning. It helps clarify what he means by judge. It's an idea of hard-heartedness or lack of compassion. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. What Jesus is, so that's what it is. What Jesus is not saying is to allow for sin. He's not saying we can never confront sin. He's not ruling out the legitimate use of discernment, of accountability, of applying God's word to situation. And we know he's not ruling that out because the very next section we're going to study today, he says, this is how you do that. This is how you confront a brother or sister in Christ. This is how you come alongside We see that in Matthew 18. We we see that all through Scripture. We are to make proper discernments about sin. And so the the issues of the day, we have so many cultural issues, and and you may say something against abortion because we know that that is a life, and you may be protecting life, and people say, oh, don't be judging that person. Don't be judgy. I've used those words before. And in that case... What Jesus is saying, don't look down on them because of their view. Love them and care for them, but stand strongly for God's word. 
Does that make sense? And it's a balance that we struggle with because we have a hard time in culture today disagreeing with someone and still caring about them. But we've got to separate those two. Jesus is not ruling out applying His Word to sin and confronting sin. He's telling His listeners, stop it to the tendency to criticize and find fault with others. He strikes at that attitude. I I think a good way of thinking about it, and we'll, we'll get there in the second part of today's text, is when I confront sin, when I come to a certain attitude, am I motivated out of love for them and their good? That's the question. Am I motivated out of love for them and their good? Or am I determined to be right? Am I determined to put them down so I feel better about myself? Because that's often why we do this, isn't it? Why are we critical? Often we're insecure about ourselves. And, and, and so if I can somehow think I'm smarter, better, faster, jump higher, sorry, I have boys, then, then, then somehow I have now elevated myself to be more valuable of, or of more worth than someone else. And that is sin. See, the truth is we are all equal at the foot of the cross. I'm a sinner. Joe's a sinner. Chris is a sinner. Jim's a sinner. And as sinners together, we need Jesus Christ because we can't save ourselves. And I don't care how good we think we are and how right we think we are, we all need Jesus for salvation because we've all sinned, we all deserve death, and the only answer is that He loved us and had mercy on us that while we were still sinners, He died on the cross in our place, bearing the punishment for our sin. That is why we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Because but for the grace and work of Christ, we're all lost. And so when Jesus speaks against a judgmental heart, when He speaks against a condemning heart, He is speaking against defiling His work on the cross by thinking somehow, I got more of Jesus' work on the cross than you did. Guys, this is important. Do we come together at all of our different levels of growth and all of our different levels of maturity in, in, a, in a way that we are loving and seeking truth for the other's good and seeking Christ together? One of the things about having a judgmental and critical spirit is, and, and Jesus is going to go there in the next section too, we have some parallels here, but we often don't know it. It's one of those things that blinds us. It's hard to see because it just works into how we talk or or we can reword it like, well, I'm just trying to pray for the person and their many list of faults. Let me list them out to you. Or maybe we, we word it like, well, I'm just trying to learn from it so I don't do the same thing because, oh, 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 that I'm not like the poor sinner over there praying. We've got to notice this to be able to stifle. If you find yourself, and I just wrote down some ideas here, if you find yourself often talking about what others should have done, especially when they aren't around, you're probably struggling with a critical spirit and judgmental spirit. If you find your opinions of people's worth and value lower because you don't agree with them or you, or you don't agree with some of the things that, done, that they've done, you're probably struggling with judging and condemning. If you struggle to give people second 
third, fourth, fifth chances, we're probably struggling with judging and condemning. And these are ways that we've got to start looking in our hearts and saying, this is not from God. One of the things there, if you look at verse 37 again, there's consequences to not doing this. Did you notice that? There's, there's, reciprocal na- there's a reciprocal nature in these commands. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. And the implication there that is something we'd call the divine passive because it's written in, in, in Greek in a passive tense and that's a way that they use to say this is God doing the judging. This is God doing the condemning without using His name. And, and so the idea is if we are judgmental people, we are risking God's judgment. What goes around comes around spiritually and, I would argue, with each other. And this is not saying salvation is by works. Oh, no, I judged someone today. I'm going to hell. That's not what it's saying. It comes back to what he talked about at the end of last week. If we're sons and daughters of God, that's who we'll be like. We'll be like Dad. And so that will characterize us. And so he can, Jesus can say, don't judge or God will judge you because if that is something that we never conquer, that we wrestle with and we never even try to conquer, it, it may mean that we haven't accepted Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit isn't living in us. This is just a strong words that we're not always comfortable with. Judge not or God will judge you. At the human level, we know critical people. We know judgmental people because we are. That's why we can identify it so easily in others. But, but you know, when, when we get more, more, more and more critical, we drive people away from us because people don't like to be around that. Or people then look at us with more criticism and, and with a, a stricter judgment, with a magnifying glass, because, hey, if, if that's how you're going to be, then let's hold you to the same standard. Yeah, I, I know we probably don't have too many racing fans in here, and I probably shouldn't admit that because we're in California. But um, this this last week, there was an incident where one driver um, got retribution for another driver. And I'm not saying retribution is, is right. We talked about that last week. And, and crashed him out of the playoffs. And, and his statement at the end just illustrates this because they were interviewing him, and he said, well, that's how that driver decided to race me, so that's how I decided to race him. And, and again, that's not the values we want to pursue. That would not be godly values, but it illustrates what happens to people that are judgmental and critical and condemning. Other people start to do the same to you. It's the way Jesus, God created it to work. The measure we judge other with, others with will be applied to us. And so Jesus' first command, if we're to be merciful like the Father, It's to tenaciously avoid a critical, fault-finding, judgmental, better-than-thou attitude. And you can list whatever other adjectives you want in there. See, here's the bottom line. You and I don't have a spiritual gift of criticism. It doesn't exist. Don't think it's a virtue. Recognize that it's a sin. Another quote, when you judge another, you don't define them, you define yourself. And that is so true. 
And so Jesus starts by painting, don't do this. But then in his marvelous wisdom, he paints, okay, this is how you should do this. This is the opposite side of that. And we get to the next command there in in the end of 37. And these are all very simple. They're very straightforward and incredibly hard. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Point number two in your notes is forgive and restore fully, freely, and forever. It's a, a three words I've, I've heard a number of churches use for forgiveness and I've adopted them. Forgiveness is only truly godly forgiveness when it's full, and when it's complete, when it's freely given without strings attached. It's never, well, I'll forgive you if you... That, that's not forgiveness. That's a bargain. And finally, forever. If we're going to keep bringing stuff up in the past, then that's evidence we haven't forgiven. And so Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. We, we could spend all day on forgiveness. And I know coming up in, in, in next year in the youth, we're going to spend some time unpacking forgiveness. But, but think of it this way. Forgiveness is a one-sided transaction where you choose to release a debt someone owes you and give it to God. Catch that? Forgiveness is a one-sided transaction, which means it doesn't depend on the other person. You can forgive someone still, still doing things to you, still abusing you, that's still your enemy. Forgiveness is a one-sided transaction that transfers a debt someone owes you to God. The word here is actually very much a, a word of commerce, a word of business. It's like across a bill saying, transferred. And, and, and think about this. If I am an unforgiving person, and if I'm harboring something, I, let's, I'm not going to pick one of you. Let, but let's say I'm harboring something against someone, and I'm stewing on it, and every time I come Sunday morning, I'm like, I can't believe they're here. They're not even acting in a godly way, and they're singing worship. Let me ask you, does that hurt them? They probably don't even know. And I have stopped my worship and I have stopped everything about why I'm here because I've let my anger and my unforgiving spirit and bitterness control me. And so when Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiving, he's saying, give this to me. Let it go. Stop being judgmental. Stop being critical. Stop harboring this. Now, now a couple of other things are our pushback against forgiveness, number one pushback I hear is, but then it'll be condoning their behavior. It's not. Forgiveness does not mean there's no consequences. Forgiveness does not, is not the same as reconciliation. Those are all different concepts. Forgiveness is saying that was sin. And, and if it's a brother or sister in Christ, confronting that in a loving, non-judgmental or not non-critical way, confronting that, but then saying, and I give it to God. It is not condoning or approving of sinful actions. It's not declaring someone innocent. It's simply saying God can handle this better than I can. And so when we don't do it, we are literally saying I can handle this better than God can. And that's pride and arrogance. This is not easy forgiveness. Because they will be held accountable by God, a just and righteous God. And it is not permissive to allow sin to continue, but it has loving confrontation. But the foundation of this goes back to verse 36. 
how has God treated us? Any of you, anyone here at all do anything offensive against God before you were saved? What was the penalty for that? Death. Romans 6.23. But God in his great love and mercy sacrificed himself so we could be forgiven. That's why Jesus could on the cross say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his forgiveness. That's what allows us to obey a command like forgive and you will be forgiven. Again, again, see the reciprocity there. There, There's, as we are forgiving, then God's forgiveness pours out on us. And, And it's because we're children of God, because he's already forgiven, then that changes us to be a forgiving people. And we experience his blessed, wonderful forgiveness. In verse 38, we get the next command, the third of these commands. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And this is the second command on the positive side. We, we had um, do not judge, do not condemn. Then we had forgive, and now we have give. And just like last week, this is going above and beyond our own heart and doing something good for the other person. It's an action that reflects a forgiving heart, a non-judgmental heart. And so he, he says, go beyond tolerance. Go beyond just sitting on the opposite side of the sanctuary as the person that annoys you. And give, because mercy always gives of self, of stuff, of, our, uh, of anything. And again, you see the example of that is in God. Give and it will be given to you. And Jesus here says, let me tell you how much God wants to give to you. Let me tell you how much God wants to bless you and, and just be an incredible part of your life. And he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over to be put into your lap. Now, we read that and we're like, okay, those are good phrases. We don't get it. Because none of you have gone to the market this week with a bag selling rice or buying rice or some sort of grain. And the idea is if you have a bag of grain and the vendor pours it in, they could fill it half full and charge you for a bag of grain, right? And you haven't gotten much. But what if they then shake it down and add some more and shake it down and press it down? Now you've gotten a full bag. But God's blessing goes beyond that. And I'm not talking wealth or or health. I'm talking his blessing in our hearts, in a kingdom sense of what he's doing in our lives. It says not only that, but then the bag's overflowing and he gives you that. I have an example this morning because I think we need to understand this. I have a little jar here. And um, let's say I wanted to give you some candy. Okay? Candy better than grain. So I put some some candy in here. Oh, man, that was one of my favorites. And I'm like, okay, here's your jar of candy. It's full. Full. Have you gotten your money's worth for this jar of candy? But then I say, you know what? For you, we're going to shake that. And get some more in there. Uh, you know what? I bet I can get some more because, you know, I really, I really care about you. 
and I want you to have as much candy as you can. Don't, don't go with the health thing there. Now, if you're the one receiving this jar, how do you feel? Yeah. Feel better than the first, the first batch? But you know what? What if I said, I love you so much, there's more candy here? Here, make a pouch with your cloak. And, and when it talks about lap there, that word was their, their robes, they could make pockets over the belt. And so the person would just pour the rest, whatever was left over, into their pockets. And now I've given everything I have. That is what life with Christ can be. One that is overflowing with abundance of of love from Him, of forgiveness from Him, of mercy for Him. And God is saying, or Jesus is saying, give and it will be given to you to this degree because this is how God gives. So if we're looking for how to be merciful like the Father, point number three there is give freely and generously and watch God take care of you. Because He will. Watch God take care of you. Not in equal proportions to what you give, but in multiples of what you give. Mercy is never stingy. Did you catch that? Mercy is never stingy. And and I don't just mean with stuff. And, And Village, you guys are incredibly awesome about helping each other with stuff. And if there is a need here, it gets met like that. And it is a testimony to what a family of God should look like. But go beyond that and say, mercy gives of my time. Mercy gives of my energy. Mercy will actually pray for someone I said I'll I'll pray for. Mercy will find ways to build relationships. Mercy will find ways to forgive and not be judgmental. This is how God wants to bless us with who He is. And so we have a picture here. We have two pictures actually in these first few verses of of what an unmerciful attitude looks like and what a merciful attitude looks like. An unmerciful attitude that is not Christ-like is judgmental, it is critical, it is condemning. It is unforgiving, it is bitter, it is angry, it is stingy. Because I earned that stuff. They don't deserve it anyway. Do you see how that ties into judgmentalism? A merciful attitude from the Father is an accepting and loving attitude for the person. It's a forgiving attitude that releases those debts that gives people second, third, fourth, hundredth chances. It is a generous attitude. And then Jesus takes the next few verses and like He did last week, He puts them into practice with examples. So 39 through 42 is putting it into practice on the backside of your notes, exhorting each other in the right attitude. How do we confront? How do we come alongside? How do we not give, give way or, or give path to sin but still have the right attitude and love each other. And he has three different things that he says to be careful of. In verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? We get that, right? You, you, you don't have a blind man lead you. If you're, if you're blind too, you, you, it can't work. And Jesus here is, is challenging them to be careful of spiritual blindness. 
be careful of that. And, and in the context here, he's talking about a judgmental attitude, a better-than-thou attitude. When we go to confront someone, we are often blind to our own faults, to our own weaknesses and imperfections. This, this command reminds us we haven't arrived. And we need to be looking, looking for what God wants to do in our lives. Looking for the spiritual weaknesses in my life. We need to not be blind to our own spiritual immaturities as we try to lead others. You can apply this proverb in two ways. Am I the first blind man leading the other one? Where I haven't experienced life with Christ, but I'm trying to tell others what it means to walk with Christ. Where I haven't experienced forgiveness of sins and His mercy, but I'm trying to tell others about that. You could also read this, am I the second blind man? Who am I following? Am I following men and women that love God and are following Him? This is discipleship. If you aren't striving to follow Jesus, if you're not pursuing Him, if you're not learning, how can you lead others? How can you disciple others? Moms and dads, if you aren't learning and growing in Christ and working on the sin issues you have and the weaknesses you have, how can you even help your children walk with God? I'm not saying you don't try. I'm not saying we have to be perfect before we do that. But my kids will learn more from seeing my weaknesses and me on my knees repenting for that and coming to God and saying, "Ah, I sinned. And then coming to my kids sometimes and say, I sinned against you. They will learn more from that than if they never see my walk with God. We've got to be careful of spiritual blindness. In verse 40, he goes on and he says, be careful of spiritual pride. Be careful of spiritual pride. A disciple is not above his teacher. You're not all that. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And here he's talking to his disciples and he's like, you're not going to supersede me. But as you come and are discipled, you'll be more and more like me. As Paul said in Philippians 2.5, have the same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I loved what one author said about this one is Jesus is reminding us we're not Jesus. And we shouldn't think we are. But we should strive to follow him. But then we get to the last and probably the most familiar parable in the text, 41 and 42. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite or play actor. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And this is just classic teaching on, okay, how do we then, in light of God's mercy, in light of all these things, in light of my own weaknesses, how do we then come together and help each other grow? How do we hold each other accountable? How do we address sin? And he uses a a familiar story. He's using humor here, by the way. We look at it and like, well, that's sort of... No, Jesus is intentionally using humor to make a point. And he says, why do you have a... You you, you go to your brother, you're trying to get a little splinter, a little speck out of their eye, and you've got this big old log out of your eye. And... And the word for log there, just to, to see the, the hyperbole that Jesus is using, that word means a support beam of a house. 
So it would be like, okay, I'm going to help Phil here. I'm going to get that speck out of your eye, brother. And I'm sitting here next to the support beam with this in my eye. But here, Phil, come over and let me operate on your eye. No, you wouldn't let me. Why? Can't do it. There's no credibility there. And so Jesus is saying, start with the big issue. It's you. Start by looking inside. You know, I have a stick here. This is, this is actually small compared to, to Jesus' thing. And I know I've done this with a two-by-four before. But going a different way, think of the harm it does if I go to Phil and try to get the speck out of his eye. And if I don't think this is in my eye. And what Jesus is saying is, you need to check yourself and say, what are your faults? Before you start criticizing and judging someone else's faults. Because so often, we see everyone else's faults as so huge, and we minimize our own faults, don't we? And, and, and in fact... Chances are the things that bother me most in others are the things I struggle with the most. If I struggle with anger, I probably get really angry when other people get angry. Because look at the sin in their lives. We do this. This is normal. We minimize our own issues, maximize others. I love what President Bush said. He said it a couple times now in speeches. He said, too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. It's, it's, it feels much better if I don't have to address the junk in my life. And Jesus is saying, yes, we should confront sin in each other, but let's start with the sin in our own lives. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log, the beam that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself don't see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. But we do this. Think, think, think through, through Bible stories. Remember David and Bathsheba? And David sins with Bathsheba. And he sins with lust, he sins in adultery, and then he compounds that by sinning with murder, right? To her, to her husband. And do you remember, and, and we're familiar with that story, but think about this, this log and speck concept, and we tend to see sins in others that we actually have in ourselves. Nathan comes to him, right? And Nathan, the prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him this story of this man that takes something from someone else, this prized sheep. And do you remember David's response at the end of that? Kill him! Kill him! How can someone do that? That man, or as the Lord lives, he says, that man has done, what that man has done, he deserves to die. And Nathan looked at him and said, that's you. That's you. So think about what you get, get angry about this week. Think about what frustrates you. As you come together with family and we're in different situations and, and different situations with extended family just is, there's so many opportunities for criticism and judgmentalism and, and frustration. We struggle to see our own hypocrisy, but that's where we have to start. 
Jesus is teaching us to look at our own shortcomings first. Now, again, that's hard to see because we've got the beam in our eyes. And, and in fact, what's really interesting is in those texts, in 41, 42, he uses two different words for seeing there. Why do you see the speck that is in your, in your brother's eye? And that's just a general, you observe something, you see something, and you don't notice it in yours. Let me take it out of yours. You don't see what's in your eye. That's all just the general word for see. Then in the last phrase, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. He, Jesus uses a different word there, a different form of the word. And it, it, it means not just to see something, but to see clearly, as it's translated in the ESV, to see intently as things actually are. And what Jesus is saying, you can't do that unless you start with the log in your own eye. So how do we do that? Uh, one of the things is we've got to have godly, godly men and women by our side. Because when we have blind spots, they're called blind spots for a reason. Because we're blind to them. And so I need my wife to come to me and say, you know what? You may not see it, but this is what I'm seeing. I need my friends and the, the other pastors here and the elders here to come alongside and say, you know what? You're not seeing this, but this is sin. And I need to be open to that knowing that they've checked their lives first before they've come to me. You know, an, another way is to follow David's example in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. He's praying that God will reveal it to him. Have you prayed that prayer? It's a scary prayer. Have you said, God, reveal my weaknesses to me? Reveal my weaknesses. Finally, just another way we can do this is every situation we approach, we need to approach that I might be at fault here. I might be in the wrong. I might not be seeing clearly. Then once we can see clearly, once we've addressed the sin in our own hearts, once we've repented from any sin there, then then we can come and, and adequately take a speck out of our brother's eyes. You know, going back to Phil as the example, yeah, you wouldn't let me with the log in my eye. But if you had walked with me and saw me repent of some of the same sins in my lives, life and said, and, and I had asked you to pray for me, and then I came to you and said, you know, I love you, I love you, you're my brother, but I'm noticing this. Would you be more receptive? Absolutely. Because now I've come with the merciful heart of the Father. When our spirit is right, we're still to correct. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We come alongside and we restore. This whole passage is about how do we show God's mercy. How do we copy the Father's mercy? And he comes and says, you, you've got to stamp out a judgmental heart, a condemning heart. You have to be a people of forgiveness, a people willing to give of yourselves for others no matter what. And finally, he says, we need to first look at the faults in our own lives. And then we can have mercy on other people. I want to end by reading a poem. 
Pray don't find fault with a man who limps or stumbles along the road unless you have worn the shoes he wears or struggled beneath his load. There may be tacks in his shoes that hurt, though hidden away from view, or the burdens he bears placed on your back might cause you to stumble too. Don't sneer at the man who is down today unless you have felt the blow that caused his fall or felt the shame that only the fallen know. You may be strong, but still the blows that were his if dealt to you in the, in the self-same way at the self-same time might cause you to stagger too. Don't be too harsh with a man who sins or pelt him with words and stones unless you are sure, yea, doubly sure, that you have not sins of your own. For you know, perhaps, if the tempter's voice should whisper as soft to you as it did to him when he went astray, twould cause you to falter too. check ourselves and then help each other stay away from sin. Let's pray. Lord God, your words are radical. They're selfless. They reflect your love and your mercy. Lord, may we be a people that start by checking ourselves first, by being right with you. And then may we exhibit your compassion in forgiveness, in acceptance, in love, even when the other person doesn't deserve it. Help us to see every person in this room equal at the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray that you would expose sin in our congregation. That if there are haughty spirits, if there are are judgmental attitudes, if there is criticism happening as we leave these doors, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that this week And your Holy Spirit would convict in hard, hard ways. Because we want to be a people after the Father's heart. Thank you for your word, God. In Jesus' name.